Today's scripture reading is taken from Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 35. Verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of this. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you'll walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Verse 27, do not be withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbour, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbour who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favour. The wise would inherit honour, but fools get disgrace. This is God's word. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for reading for us the word of the Lord. As some of you may not know, Sylvia is one of the several missionaries that we support through our giving. Once a month, there is a blue bag that comes by, and many of you have probably realized that this beard growing is a bit of a gimmick in order to encourage you to give to meet our goal. And if you haven't noticed, there is a poster downstairs in the fellowship hall that gauges how we're doing. For those of you who haven't checked this morning, we have given... Uh, just under $285,000 to missions. That is wonderful. But when you compare it to, you, to our goal, I'm just guessing by the end of November, I'll be wearing a sack over my head. 
Thank you for your consistent giving to missions. As you may also know, especially if you're here earlier in the service, next week we have the privilege of affirming three men that we believe as a leadership team God has shaped for the ministry of eldering. We interviewed Sam Bay last week, and this morning I'd like for Lutming to join me. Tian Chai, will you join me too here at the front? And uh, I would just like for us to know these two brothers just a little bit better. Uh, Lutming, since you're here first, I'll invite you to share. Um, I'm fairly new to GBC. Some of you may also be uh, fairly new. So I'd like both of these brothers to share just a little bit about themselves and their families and how long they have been serving here at GBC. Okay, my name is Lutming, and um, I've been in GBC for, uh, since 1996. Uh, that's, I don't know, 22 years. Um, I have a wife, Winnie. She's, she was playing the piano. And she's there. We've been married for um, 17 years and seven months. <laughs> we have two children, um, Ethan and Esther. Uh, they are 15 and uh, coming on 14 uh, this year. Yeah, uh, Tian Chai. Uh, I drive the taxi uh, on weekdays. I'm married to Janice for 32 years. And, uh, you know, 32 years both need a lot of perseverance. So, uh, two children, Samuel and Samantha and uh, in GBC for about 25 years. Okay, I just have to take a timeout for, this is a Matsale timeout. Be because for me, uh, coming from Canada, serving so long in Asia, it raises my spirits when a man is being considered for an elder in Asia and the first thing he says is, I drive a taxi in the week. Praise God for God's people, recognizing qualifications don't come from our secular occupation, but comes from the gifting and the character God has put in a man. So the next question I'd like to ask both of you guys to, to respond to is because we live in a very diverse Christian community, and there's lots of definitions on what an elder is. I, I know that when I was young, I used to think there was like one or two men that met in a dark room and made all the decisions for the church. Could you just share with us a little bit your view of your role and how you will fit into it? Okay, so since I go first, right? <laughs> I give all the uh, model answers and then you have to think about this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> so actually, um, the role of an elder um, is actually essentially the role of a shepherd, and it's basically the same qualifications as um, you would have a, a pastor. And sometimes, um, I mean, to, to be honest, I, it's, it's the same scrutiny that you should give uh, myself and, and Tian Chai uh, as you would do uh, Sam as well, uh, because it is the same office and it is um, the same qualifications as listed out in First Timothy 3. Uh, I think the role of uh, a shepherd is really to feed um, and guide and protect the flock. Uh, and I think in terms of the, um, uh, the, the, the ministry that I, I am in, which is the worship ministry, I've been in the worship ministry for, for quite some time. Um, I think in the, in the worship ministry itself, uh, a lot of times I've been, um, you know, just in the mode of uh, providing sort of a service uh, to, to the community here. Um, you know, in terms of music and, and the songs and things like that. But really, in, in terms of uh, being a shepherd, it's really to shepherd the, the people within the ministry itself, as well as to shepherd the, 
the, the, the congregation because through the songs we sing, through the, uh, through the, through the verses that we, we read and through the scripture reading and things, things like that, these are actually shaping and guiding the, uh, the flock. Uh, yeah, so that's basically what I have. Uh, having said that, uh, the qualifications of an elder are being taught over the last few weeks. Uh, do take note that both of us are not there yet, but we are just work in progress, working towards that. And the uh, role of elder is basically shepherding, and I can share with you three areas. One is teaching, uh, teaching in the ministry that I'm in, CG ministry, in small group, in one-to-one, uh, -one, that we may disciple people into faith or in the faith for non-believers. And uh, secondly is the caring part, how we care for the people, come alongside them, not just to pray for them, but really walk along with them in their difficult times, and also perhaps set aside time deliberately to visit the sick and uh, the bereaved family. No doubt we can't do much for this, the, the later two activities or uh, uh, in attendance. It's basically just show encouragement and uh, show some support to them that they may be encouraged and uh, be comforted. And the third area of this shepherding role is uh, 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 to, to guide the people. How do we guide? I think uh, both Lakme and myself will agree that it basically live out a life that has Christ-likeness in us, that others may see Jesus in and through our lives. And uh, to set this role model, we ourselves have to practice what we want the members to practice. We have to be there first, to do first. And by doing so, others may be disciple, and others may be encouraged to follow Jesus and point towards Jesus. Thank you so much. As we've already shared next week, immediately following the service, we'll invite uh, members to stay by and we'll affirm or not the recommendation of our elders and our leadership team to invite these men to join our shepherding team at GBC. I want us to take just a moment and pray for these brothers, uh, uh, for Tian Chai, for Lap Meng, for Sam, who's not on the platform, and also for us as we learn how to steward the voice of God in our midst. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we bless you for men who are willing to model how to come to you empty-handed and yet full of expectation that you are the God who does not call unless you equip us. We invite you, O oh God, not just for these men, but for each of us. Will you equip us with the kind of Christ-like character that is infectious? We invite you to qualify us by his righteousness, by your spirit's holiness. Purify these men. Guard their hearts and their families. Set them apart for your pleasure and purpose. And God, I pray for each of us. As we approach your garden that you have prepared for us, let us pray like Jesus, Father, not my will be done but yours. So God, find us faithful in preparing our hearts, not only for this Sunday, but for next. We pray that you will continue to equip us in godliness. These men, fill them with courage. Thank you, Father that you qualify us not by our ethnicity, not by our education or occupation. You qualify us by the cross of Jesus. 
we celebrate this good news. Father, we also want to pray not only for our church, but the church that represents you in the turmoil among the nations. Oh, God, have mercy. Guard your witness in those places that are difficult, where your word is not honored, when your name is not cherished. God, vindicate the reputation of your name in this planet. In the face of the rise of nationalism globally, may you find a church that embraces every ethnicity, every nation that arrives on the shore. May we treat them with dignity. Bless you, God, for bringing the nations to this shore. May we be faithful in the Great Commission to disciple them as they arrive, to reach out, to love, to embrace in the name of Jesus. And Father, in these days, we also want to remember those who have lost a mother. We want to remember our dear pastor, Peter Lynn, as he has gone to New York to grieve the loss of his mother. As his family has gathered there, I pray that there would be great comfort in the reminder that though we die, yet shall we live. We pray the same for our pastor, Bobby Lee, for Lydia and their girls as they grieve the loss of Bobby's mom. And for our dear sister, June, I, I, I thank you for their testimony in the midst of non-believing families, the courage and the hope they have in Jesus. We thank you that June's mother chose Christ. We bless you that you are the God who pursues, who interrupts our lives with good news. We bless you that you have called us together in this moment. And now, as we have worshipped you with the offering of our lips, prepare us now to worship you with the offering of our attention. Help us to hear your word as those ready to respond. I pray for your preacher today that you would allow him to share with power that comes from you with great liberty and clarity. And may we, O oh God, leave this place knowing that we have spent time with the Almighty, Creator, King of all creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Now, it's so good to see you all here today as we start on our mini-series on the book of Proverbs. How does this series from Proverbs feed into our church team of believe, belong, and behave? Proverbs instruct us on how we as a church can wisely behave as those who belong to God. So what we'll be doing is we'll spend the next four weeks looking at Proverbs. We will cover topics of wisdom, sexuality, use of our words, 
use of our wealth, all really practical stuff that will inform how we live our daily lives. So I invite you to spend time with us over the next month, meditating on the practical wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Also, for those of us who like to read, there are a couple of books that I have to recommend for you, even as we work through our way through the book of Proverbs. The first one is this book called How People Change. How People Change. As an elder team, elders team, we are working through this book together. It gives us gospel wisdom. Gospel wisdom to apply when faced with the heat of the world. So I recommend this book uh, for, to you. Secondly, this book, The Gospel at Work. Uh, I haven't really read this, but Eugene recommends this. Uh, what it does is it shows us how we can apply the gospel in a workplace. Just looking at the contents, how should I choose a job? That's one of the topics. Uh, how do I balance work, church, and family? Or oh, oh this, this is a really applicable one. How do I handle difficult bosses and co-workers? So for those of you who want to apply gospel wisdom to your work, you can pick this book up from the books, uh, bookstore downstairs. I guess it's a bookstore. The last, last book that we have is this, uh, Proverbs Driven Life. Okay, sorry, I realize I haven't introduced this book. This is Gospel at Work. Gospel at Work. Okay, the last book, A Proverbs Driven Life, what it does, it applies the wisdom of Proverbs in a couple of areas in our life. Work, wealth, friends, marriage, and children. So for those of us who uh, want to track with the message as we go through these various topics, you can also pick this book up. It's available at the bookstore downstairs. And now before we start, let us pray. O Lord Jesus, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Father God, as we gather to hear from your word this morning, we pray that you show us Christ in your word. May we see the truth, beauty, and goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our minds to receive your word so that we may be transformed by the work of your Holy Spirit working through your word so that as a church, we might be a living display of your glorious gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First off, why should I listen to the book of Proverbs? Think back with me on the decisions you made and acted on this past week. Think back on your decisions in your schools, in your homes, your workplaces, and even in church. And we have questions like, for the students, should I go for my CCA or spend an extra two hours revising for my test coming next week? Or should I spend the morning helping my colleague in need in an area that I'm good in? Or shall I work on my project that is due next week? Or for many of us, an area that we struggle with, how should I interact with my in-laws? And I want, how should I interact with the brother or sister in church who often seems in need? Or another question, how can I, as part of this church, wisely interact with others in a manner that creates a culture of life reflective of the gospel? 
Do you wish you could have made better and wiser decisions in these areas? The thing is, my friends, we live day by day in a world where the details of characters are small enough to escape the coverage of the law and prophets in the Bible. And yet, they are so decisive in our personal dealings with others. So God gave us more than just the law and the prophets. He also gave us wise counsel from the wisdom books of the Bible, of which the book of Proverbs is one such book. You know, of course, in our day and age, you, you're like me, you can certainly go Google the answers to the questions above, but what we need is not more information, but instructions in wise living. And the text of Proverbs gives us instruction on how to be skillful in the art of godly living. It contains practical life wisdom for God's people. My friends, do you want to live well? Have you wondered what it means to live skillfully? Then I invite you to spend some time with us reflecting on the book of Proverbs. Why is it so important? You see, my friends, life comprised of thousands of decisions and actions. And the end of it all is not just a goal that we work towards, but also a condition we become. We are becoming the end of our goals, wise or foolish. And every decisions and actions we take, take us closer there. So I invite you, my friends, let's spend time together walking with Lady Wisdom, if you wish, in the book of Proverbs, and perhaps we can experience the beautiful flourishing of a life well-lived. And today, in order to help us along in our journey, we will ask three questions, three questions of the book of Proverbs. The first one, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? The second, why seek wisdom? Why seek wisdom? And the third, how do I apply wisdom? How do I apply wisdom? So let's look at our first question. So what is wisdom? In order to answer this question, we have to go back to the start of the book of Proverbs. So do this bookmark Proverbs 3 in your Bible and turn back with me, turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. And this is an introduction to an entire book of Proverbs. And in this introduction, we get a context, we get the aim, as well as the answer to our question, what is wisdom? So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. Are we there yet? Okay. I'm going to read from verse 1 and following. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 1 tells us, it gives us the context, that this is the Proverbs. Proverbs are literary genre of this book. So what is a proverb? In English, a proverb is a short saying of practical truth that is easy to remember. You know, things like, look before you leap, or, or my favourite, more haste, less pace. Okay? Biblical proverbs, on the other hand, they are also written as sound bites. They are concise, they are expressive, but they offer a lot more than just mere common sense. A biblical proverb is a condensed but memorable saying representing some important fact of the experience of God's people. This experience that is passed on, this wisdom that is passed on through generations of wise living. So that is taken as generally true, generally true by many people. And this is the nature of the genre of Proverbs. They are generally true for a particular context. Proverbs deal with probability, not promise. For example, Proverbs 22, verse 6, a verse in which we get, uh, we hear very often in many parenting talks. Okay, it tells us, train a child in a way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. This proverb is generally true. As parents know, when you instruct a child in the Christian faith when they are young, it's likely when he or she gets older, they will not depart from the faith. However, this proverb is not a promise. There are exceptions. It is not if you do A, God guarantees B. And we have sadly seen some children leaving the faith when they become adults despite the effort parents have put in. So parents, do not feel overly burdened or gu uh, with guilt because we live in a broken world and life in a broken world happens. It's not because you have failed as parents. So let us continue to pray for our children and trust in our wise God. Verse 1 also tells us, these Proverbs are of Solomon son of David, king of Israel. What this does is connects us to biblical history. Biblical history. The pro these Proverbs are attributed to Solomon, the wisest king of Israel. Solomon wrote a number of Proverbs, quite a number of Proverbs, and you can see this in the sections in this book where they credit him as an author. And it's likely he started collecting other wisdom saying from God's people as well. And this eventually became the book of Proverbs. The wisdom of Proverbs started off historically for the training of young people in ancient Israel. Because you see this thing about, uh, it's almost like a father talking to a son uh, in many parts of Proverbs. In this, young men and women were trained in the art of skillful godly living, passed on in the transmitted wisdom of God's people who live before them. Because of this, because by picking up a proverb up and turning around over and over again, looking at it from all angles, we can see something about our lives before we step out into actual reality. 
So what God is doing through the Proverbs is saying to them and to us, learn wisdom and live. Look with me to the next uh, uh, couple of verses, verses 2 to 6. This verse tells us God's aim for us. And he has two goals, basically, in the book of Proverbs. Verse 2 states them. One is deep character, deep character. And the other is straight thinking, straight thinking. The first, to know wisdom and instruction. That is deep character, to become wise. And the second, to understand words of insight. That is straight thinking. The call for us to think rightly. And then if we look on, verses 3 and 4 tells us more about deep character. And verse 6 tells us more about straight thinking. But verse 5 makes a slight detour. Urging even wise people to keep growing. So who, who are Proverbs for? Proverbs then is for everybody. Everybody can take a new step with the Lord. The simple, the youthful, the wise. Everybody can grow together. We can be a community of growing people, pursuing godly wisdom. My friends, do we want to grow in wisdom together as a church? And then we come to verse 7. This verse is key to understanding what is wisdom. What is wisdom? You know, one of the things I notice when I neared my mid-40s is whenever I, I come up to the pulpit, I have to keep on holding the Bible further and further away in order to read. Okay? And at some point, I really didn't want to use a selfie stick when I'm up here in order to read my Bible, but I thought maybe that can be quite cool, but yeah, whatever. So, so I finally went to the optician who prescribed a pair of reading glasses for me. And wow, you know, I can finally see the words on the pages of my Bible again. And this is what verse 7 does. It gives us the reading glasses to read wisdom correctly. It corrects our cultural misreading of wisdom. This wisdom is not based on the traditions of men nor the best practices of businesses, nor research done by consulting companies. What is it based on? It is based on the fear of the Lord. Verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The first thing we see is, the wise fear the Lord. The wise fear the Lord. What does this mean? We cannot separate fear and the Lord. Okay? Usually we will do that just by looking at it. Uh, just like we cannot understand butterfly, you know, the word butterfly, by looking separately at butter and fly. Okay? So now I know most of us have a picture in our head now. A butterfly is a fly landing on a piece of butter. Okay, we can't understand a butter, butterfly by looking at butter and fly. The same thing with the fear of the Lord. You have to look at it together. And it involves two aspects at the same time. The first one, it tells us of our self-revealing God who reveals Himself to us in His Word. An example of this is in Psalm 19, verse 7 to 9. 
where we see the fear of the Lord is a term that also refers to law, to statutes, to commands, to ordinances of the Lord. Okay? And secondly, fear of the Lord also refers to our response of fear, love, and trust. And we see this in Deuteronomy, for example, where they often treat love of the Lord and fear of the Lord almost as synonyms. And we see this in Deuteronomy 5, 29, 6, 2, and uh, verses 2 and 5. So putting all of this together, fear of the Lord, what does this mean? It means a worshipful awe and trust in our God who reveals himself in creation and in his word. It means being in a relationship, in a worship relationship with our covenant God who reveals himself. So as we view the wisdom of Proverbs through the reading glasses, okay, uh, we need to view it through the reading glasses of a worship relationship with our covenant-making God who graciously reveals himself to us. This fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. What does this mean? Does this mean that we begin and start off with fearing God and then we move on to something else? No. It means that not only we start with fearing God, worshipping God, but this fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the principle for, for wisdom. And this is made clear, more clear in the second half of the verse. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the key is the word despise. My friends, we realize that this is an emotional word. It's a word of contempt and relational standard partners. So if you despise someone, you won't go close to the person, you stand apart from the person. It's the arrogance of being above instruction, of feeling that I'm too smart for it, I'm too good for it, I'm too busy for it. And such a fool might be a gifted person. So being a fool doesn't mean that you are inept. It could be a gifted person. But this person doesn't feel that he needs moral cleansing. He doesn't feel that he needs to worship God. So what then is the fear of the Lord? It's not a clinging dread of fear before the Lord. It's not a guilty, no, to use paraphrase a Singaporean Christian, it's not guilty, oh no, here comes God, Jalat, I'm finished. It's not that. Okay? The fear of the Lord is openness to Him, an eagerness to please God, um, uh, uh, having a humility to be instructed by Him. So putting the whole verse, verse 7 together, what is wisdom? It's having a worshipful awe and openness to trust in our covenant God who reveals Himself in creation and in His Word. This is foundational to how we can access the wisdom of Proverbs. But my friend, that is not all. The book of Proverbs is in some ways the gospel. It is good news, good news for the inept and foolish, inept, foolish person like myself through the wisdom of another. You and I have hope. We can be wise through receiving, learning, and reflecting on the wisdom of Proverbs. So my friends, will we be as the wise 
or as the fools as described in Proverbs. How will we respond? How will we want to respond to the God who graciously reveals Himself to us? Do we receive with openness the wisdom that God offers in Proverbs? We go on to the next question. Why seek wisdom? Why seek wisdom? What does wisdom bring to us? Like the flourishing of life in a desert when the rains come, no, I, I, I was a biologist, uh, in, uh, studied biology much of my earlier life, in my university life, and I, I love looking at e- various ecosystems. And the, wonderful thing that the, wonderful, the most wonderful ecosystem that I love is the desert. Because what you see is this, life flourishes when rain comes. Something dry, arid, suddenly blooms with plant life. And that's what wisdom does. Wisdom brings flourishing to those who find her. And we see this in the Song to Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 to 26. So you can turn back to Proverbs 3, and this section begins with verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. The New Living Translation translated as joyful is the one. Joyful is the one. Do you get that? Proverbs gives us the hope of blessedness and joy for the one who finds wisdom. And verses 13 to 18 tells us that everyone who finds wisdom flourishes. This is what it says. The gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than, and her profit better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. It's so easy to go wrong. We can go wrong if we think that God's gift is all about wealth and money. Proverbs is counselling us, don't aim at money. If you need money, aim at wisdom and you make the money that is right for you. Wisdom is more precious than jewels. Wisdom is skill at living life well. Money is not. You know, money can put food on a table, but, can, but wisdom, wisdom alone can put laughter around the table. Money can buy a house, but wisdom makes a home. All the ways of wisdom are pleasantness. That's what we see in verse 17. You cannot say that about money. We destroy our lives by settling for the wisdom that makes us money. When God is offering us wisdom that is like a tree of life, verse 18. And we see here the author there is alluding to the tree of life in Genesis and Revelation. The tree of life that will bring us real life and flourishing. So my friends, seek wisdom because everyone who finds wisdom finds life and flourishes. Secondly, you know, I might not look like it, but I do like to cycle. Okay? I like to take the route from my house at Bedok South, down the East Coast Park, all the way to Marina Barrage and back. 
And then some of you have actually seen me on a bicycle before. I think Ki Peng saw me before, huffing and puffing away on the ECP. And one of the, long, one of the things I learned on my long rides is that wind resistant is my enemy. Okay? And this is why you see from the picture that professional cyclists, they often have equipment that cuts wind resistance. You see that? Okay? And it's because, uh, it's probably due to my surface area, um, actually uh, my, my biggest surface area available to catch the wind, right? The wind resistance makes such a big difference. When the wind is on my back, cycling is such a breeze. Such a breeze. Cruising down Marina East, you know, the sun on my face, the wind in my hair. But when I cycle facing the wind, the going is such a chore. It's such a labor. And this gives us a second reason why we should seek wisdom. We seek wisdom because when you obtain wisdom, it's like having the wind on your back. Everyone who finds wisdom goes with the grain of God's creation. Verse 19 to 20. This verse tells us that God, by wisdom, created, created and sustained the earth and the heavens. We've been told that the universe sort of just happened. right? We've been told that human beings come about kind of like by sheer chance. But the truth is, as verses 19 and 20 tells us, God created all things. And the tool He's used was his own wisdom. And it's by this same wisdom that he sustains all things, even the dewdrops. What this means is this. Wisdom is so ingrained into all of creation that to seek and find wisdom is to live life with the wind on your back. With wisdom, you need not face the wind resistance of foolish living. So my friends, seek wisdom because everyone who finds wisdom goes with the grain of God's creation. Lastly, everyone who finds wisdom finds security. Verses 21 to 26. Now if you just scan through these verses, these verses are about personal safety and security. As we grow in wisdom, God protects us from the landmines that sin has hidden here in the world. We are told to keep sound wisdom and discretion. Verse 21. Why? For they will be alive for our soul. Verse 22. We will walk securely and not stumble. Verse 23. We will not, not afraid to lie down or our sleep will, and our sleep will be sweet. Verse 24. We need not be afraid of sudden terror or ruin, ruin even when it comes. Verse 25. Because God himself will keep our food from being caught by ruin. The second half of verse 26. Because the Lord Himself will be with us. And we see this in the first part of verse 26. The Lord will be your confidence. What does this mean? It means that God Himself will keep us in His confidence. God Himself will be our companion. God Himself will be at our side, strengthening us. God Himself will be our security. So my friends, seek wisdom. Because everyone who finds wisdom finds security. And even as we seek the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs, someone greater 
then Solomon has come. Matthew 12, 42 and Luke eleven thirty one both testify that Jesus Christ is the one greater than Solomon who has come. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 24, that Jesus Christ was more than just a great teacher of wisdom. Paul tells us, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. The wisdom we seek is the grace of Christ making our daily lives beautiful. It brings about a flourishing of our lives. So for my non-Christian friends who are with us this morning, if you want to seek wisdom, seek Jesus Christ. For the cross of Christ demonstrates the wisdom of God. It answers the question that puzzled much of the Old Testament. How can a holy God forgive sinners? Because at the cross, justice and mercy meets. Jesus Christ fulfills God's justice by dying for our sins on our behalf. The punishment for the guilty has been paid. Jesus Christ takes our place and pays the price. As a result, God's mercy and love can be poured out on sinners like me, like you. We can receive the forgiveness of sins when we trust in Jesus Christ and the wisdom that He offers. And my friends, if this is your desire, then speak to your friend who invited you to visit with us today. And if you came on your own because you found GBC on the internet, then please do not hesitate to speak to any, someone after the service. Just grab anyone. Uh, and the pastors and elders will also be happy to speak with you. So if you, this is a desire, don't hesitate. Do that today. In this article, is Google making us stupid? Great article, by the way. Nicholas Carr helps, or at least a great title. If Nicholas, Nicholas Carr helps us to see how we are being changed, and therefore how we need to change back, he writes, and what the internet seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. My mind now expects to take in information the way the internet distributes it, in a swiftly moving stream of particles. What he means is that we now ski on the surface of the sea of information rather than dive deep. So my brothers and sisters, I invite you to dive deep and contemplate Proverbs with me. You know, the late Billy Graham was reported to have spent years reading a chapter of Proverbs per day every month. And that deep reflection and contemplation of God's wisdom allowed him to live wisely. So GBC, our challenge, if you so accept it, just like Mission Impossible, our challenge, if you so accept it, is this. Will you be able to just read a chapter of Proverbs per day for the next 31 days? Because we'll be, this series has four messages, so we'll be spending the next month going through the book of Proverbs. So what you can do is just to read a chapter of Proverbs per day for the next 31 days. So are we up to date? 
Husbands, we need your wives before you sleep. Uh, just give uh, husbands things to do, right? Parents, read it to your children at breakfast. Okay? The rest of us can read it as part of our devotions. Let's make the coming month a time when GBC, all of us, seek wisdom together. Finally, finally, I know my time is running out, but finally, how do I apply wisdom? How do I apply wisdom? You apply wisdom in community. You apply wisdom in community. If you uh, turn with me to Proverbs uh, 3, 27-32, you see the word neighbour is mentioned twice in verse 28 and 29. Wisdom is applied in your interactions with others that you do life with. So if you want to grow in wisdom, then you need to grow in applying wisdom in community. And what does this mean for us, GBC? Is that we are encouraged to apply wisdom in the community that we do life with. That is the church. That is the church. And verse 27 to 32 explains how we can apply this wisdom. Firstly, we apply wisdom by creating a culture of life where people help each other as much as they can. Verse 27 to 28. You know, we cannot give what we do not have. But when it's within our power to do it, when we have it with us, wisdom says, give it away. Verse 27 tells us, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. So what he tells us is this, we sin against each other, not only by the bad things we do, but by the beautiful things, but also by the beautiful things we withhold from each other. Withheld love is a life-depleting sin. It is a sin to tell others, I'm not doing anybody any harm. But the question is, what good are you withholding? Jesus withheld no good things from us. Okay, GBC, now we know how to build this culture of life by His power. We, want, we are to build and create a culture of life where people love each other openly and eagerly with the love of Jesus. All around us are opportunities to breathe life into more people. We cannot do everything, but we can do something for His sake. And we should not withhold it from others around us. And the least we can do, even as we leave this service, as we go downstairs to the fellowship hall later, is to speak words of life to one another. We can encourage one another with our words. Secondly, how do we apply this wisdom? We apply wisdom by creating a culture of life where people protect each other. Verse 29 to 30. Trust is the glue that holds community together. What do a husband and wife, for example, most need from each other? The answer is trust. What do we need most from each other as a church? The answer is the same. Trust. Jesus calls us to trust Him because trust is the platform on which a real relationship can happen. We all know what is it like to trust someone and then have him or her betray us. It's so painful because trust is so profound. 
What then does wisdom say to us here? It tells us to build trust. It warns us not to be a fault-finding and critical person, ready to criticize a well-intentioned brother and sister. That is the culture of death. But life has come through us, come to us through Christ. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He defended us when we deserved the opposite. So my brothers and sisters, let's stand up for innocent neighbours, for our brothers and sisters in church. That is wisdom. Creating a culture of safety in our own uh, Singapore society, uh, in our church, where people are so quick to complain and criticise. Finally, we apply wisdom by creating a culture of life where the wise do not follow the example of the violent. Allow me just to quote some Hokkien here. For those of you who know, when you speak to me, I tend to fall into a local dialect sometimes. An off-quoted Hokkien proverb is, Okay, so for the, those who Hokkien among us, you know what it means, right? So for our international friends, allow me to translate. It means this, Those with the loudest voice will win. Okay? And it's a reflection of Singapore society, where often the aggressive, the loud, or even the violent people succeed. The violent do violence on others, but they often get the job done. And we may be tempted to envy them, but God says of such a person in verse 32, that is an abomination. In other words, it turns God's stomach. But God loves to defend those whom no one else defends. He's involved in this world. He's not detached or standing apart. God is not a bystander or a spectator. So whatever abuse that you suffer, remember this. Verse 32, the upright are in his confidence. God himself will be your companion and friend. So as a church, we do not follow the example of the violent, but rather we follow the example of Christ, who absorbed the violence done to him. And this also has applications for us, even as we think about selecting elders in the coming week. Do we select our elders based on the observation that they are seeking to follow the example of Christ? You heard from the men there. They are seeking to follow the example of Christ. Or are we measuring our elders according to the success culture of the world, where success is often shaped and determined by the sometimes aggressive and often competitive leaders of human society who do violence to others. GBC, let us select our elders so that they will help build a culture of life in GBC. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be part of a community that embodies this culture of life? Wouldn't it be lovely if GBC can be a, a church, a community, where we create this culture of life. And this will also bring pleasure and glory to God as we become a church that has this culture of life reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conclusion. In verse 33 and 35, what is wisdom? Let's recap. Wisdom is a wonderful, is a worshipful awe and openness to trust in our covenant God who reveals himself in creation and in his word. Why seek wisdom? We seek wisdom because it brings flourishing and joy to our lives. 
How do I apply wisdom? We apply wisdom in community in the manner that creates a culture of life. My friends, the book of Proverbs tells us there are two decisions we can make. There are two paths we can take. And that these two paths leads to two consequences. Proverbs 3, 33 to 35 makes it clear. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorner, He is scornful, but to the humble, He gives favour. The wise will inherit honour, but fools get disgrace. One path of the wicked leads to God's curse. The same path of the fool gets disgrace. The other path of the righteous leads to God's blessing. The same path of the wise will bring honour. So do not scorn God's wisdom. Choose wisdom. Choose wisdom and humble yourself. My friends, will you brave the pain to learn the fear of the Lord? Will we let go of our narcissistic ego and our self-assured opinions and our superior neutrality? Will we let them die? For to the humble, God gives favour. As the author writes, we do not change for the better by turning inward. We change by turning outward and upward to the Lord with an awakened sense of His sheer reality in His moral beauty, His eternal grandeur, infinitely above but relevant to us. Our true crisis is not informational but relational. So my friends, will you choose wisdom and turn to seek a relationship with the true and living wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, may you be our vision, O Lord of our hearts. May nothing else matter to us except you alone. May you be our best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, May your presence be our light. Lord, may you be our wisdom and our true word. May we ever be with you and you with us, Lord. For you are our great Father and we your sons and daughters. May you dwell in us and with us. And may we walk faithfully with you as we scatter into the world this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.